Welcome to this special episode of the Workforce Rx podcast. Von Tone Quinlevin, CEO of Futuro Health and host of the show, is also author of the new best-selling book, Workforce Rx, Agile and Inclusive Strategies for Employers, Educators, and Workers in Unsettled Times. In this episode, Vaughn welcomes leading workforce and economic development experts to discuss the strategies and insights from chapters seven and eight that resonated most with them. Check out their lively discussion about how to stop pitting diversity against workforce quality, integrating recruitment, screening, and training, making upskilling the new norm, taking a credential-as-you-go approach, and much more from this powerful new playbook for the future of work. Joining Vaughn are Holly Zanville, co-director of the Program on Skills, Credentials, and Workforce Policy at the George Washington Institute of Public Policy, John Brower, Executive Director for Workforce and Economic Development at the California Labor Federation, Shannon Lucas and Tracy Lovejoy, Co-Chief Executive Officers of Catalyst Constellation, Paul Granillo, President and CEO of the Inland Empire Economic Partnership, Linda Waugh, a trustee at Pasadena City College, and Gustavo Herrera, CEO of Arts for LA. And now, here's Vaughn. I'm so delighted to have your company today at this celebratory event. It is really momentous to have all of you here, uh, my colleagues and friends who are guest panelists today, as well as those who are in the audience uh, listening. So now let me go ahead and transition into the book itself, Workforce Rx. Some folks ask me, why have I written this book and why this book now? And the answer is the numbers. 8.4 million unemployed and 10 million job openings. The pandemic has really wreaked havoc on our labor market, which already was in turmoil beforehand. You know, workers can't find jobs. Employers can't find workers. Really, we need our nation to have all our engines revving to connect people with the right skills for the right jobs, connecting people with the right skills for the right jobs. And there's no more perfect time to get these workforce development strategies and these proven playbooks out since we do not need to start from scratch and we can be working together in collaborative ways to build upon each other's good works. This is a moment in time when I'll borrow a phrase from a, a former colleagues where you don't want to post and pray that there's a talent pool on the other end. And so there are many, many strategies that are proven that can be employed in order to ensure that you have the talent pool when you make that job posting. I've invited very distinguished colleagues and longtime friends to come join me today to deep dive into chapters seven and eight. And before I introduce them, I just wanted to share that I've asked them to do an icebreaker, which is to share a keyword. Now, what keyword would they use to find this book if they were on Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or Google? And then to answer this question, what insight, story, or strategy resonated the most with you? and why. Let me um, introduce all of our guests here. Uh, Holly Zanville has had a very, very long career across a number of foundations and other organizations, uh, just driving uh, rethinking in higher education and credential. And she's uh, quite the, the, the force right now helping us rethink stackable credential and micro-credential. So really driving that set of conversations in the country, even bringing in um, practices from other countries so that the U.S. can learn how it can work. So thank you, Holly, for being here. Uh, John Brower 
is with the California Labor Federation uh, as executive director for workforce and economic development. And what I've always appreciated with John is how courageous he is. When we were doing the strong workforce program uh, task force, um, he joined me in conversation with our faculty senate to really have a critical, courageous conversation about what it means to prepare students with critical thinking. And so critical thinking, you know, amongst all the essential and soft skills manifests in very different ways. And how do we develop students for that? Uh, Shannon uh, Lucas and Tracy Lovejoy are co-founders and, and CEO of Catalyst Constellation. And I have to give them credit for the current role that I have now, because at the moment in time, when I stepped off from the state chancellor's office, they created a safe space for me to be able to think through, like, where can I have uh, the next impact and to be able to continue paying forward the opportunity that I had. So thank you, Shannon and Tracy, for joining me. Paul Granillo, he's very unassuming as a, a priest uh, in background, turned economic developments and um, civic steward. Uh, he heads up the Inland Empire Economic Partnership and has really just transformed a region that used to live in the shadows of L.A., and I'm so proud that the Inland Empire is now um, winning grants and winning over industries. And it is thanks to Paul being able to build the ecosystem of the willing. Uh, Linda Waugh was a big supporter of the work that we were doing at the California Community Colleges. And she sat as a trustee on the trustee organization. And I have always appreciated that Linda was thoughtful and was open-minded about the work we're doing and ambassadored our work with the trustee organization and uh, also uh, represented us on the Strong Workforce Program. And then Gustavo Herrera, he's now with Arts for LA as its CEO, but I met him when he was with a group called the Young Invincibles, which was a policy organization advocating for the interest of sort of the younger folks in, in our population and their desire to have economic opportunity. And so, Gustavo and I share common interests and common value in creating opportunity, uh, no matter what role we play. And he is now CEO of Arts for LA. So with that, let me turn the floor over to Holly, Holly Zanville. Thanks so much, Vaughn. And you know me well enough to know that I'm not going to come up with just one word. <laughs> uh, there are four words that jumped out of me in your book that are, are really staying with me, and those are micro-credentials, risk, agility and diversity. And because of the roles that I play in the credentialing world, I want to speak to those and why I think this book is really so important to many of these developments. Some of the, the insights in chapter eight especially are, are important that digital badging, interoperable learner records, and micro-credentials are really key strategies to address the shortened shelf life of skills and knowledge. That's such, such an apt uh, way to lay those three out. These strategies are truly important parts of the prescription, the RX, for a redesigned 21st century workforce development system. Really like that Vaughn highlighted the important contributions that a credential as you go approach can make. This is where I focus so much of my work as co-lead of this new national initiative. Since Vaughn's book actually went to print, I don't know that Vaughn even knows this, we've made great progress in moving this effort forward with Credential As You Go, working to transform the pretty antiquated U.S. degree-centric system to an incremental system that incorporates shorter, valuable learning units that can be credentialed through digital badges, non-credit certificates, or skills courses bridged to credit paths, and other types of micro-credentials. 
Unfortunately, for decades, about half of college enrolled students have dropped or stopped out, resulting in some 38 million Americans joining the some college no credential club that nobody really wants to join. They left college, but they received no credential for their learning. I have to ask all of us this question. Are we really to conclude that these millions of students, many of them are low income and students of color, did not learn anything valuable enough to be credentialed because they did not complete their associate, bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degrees? Reason tells us this just cannot be true. So with this pretty horrible statistic driving us, we're on the road to fast acceleration since Credential As You Go was recently awarded a federal Institute of Education Sciences grant. We're working now with a national partnership of state systems of higher education, colleges and universities, employers, accreditation agencies, think tanks and many others in an approach that is so in line with Vaughn's insights about the importance of building an ecosystem of willing partners to provide the agility she calls for, the ability to move quickly and easily in problem-solving actions during unsettled times. Our approach of rapid prototyping is really occurring in three state systems of higher ed, Colorado, North Carolina, and New York, and we think that they're going to help us develop a blueprint to integrate incremental credentials such as short-term certificates, industry certifications, digital badges, and micro-credentials for all learners into the traditional education system. We believe this will result in a fairer, more equitable system for all learners. Well, these are exactly the kinds of approaches Vaughn is describing as part of the agile and inclusive strategies that employers, educators, and workers need in the unsettled times we're facing. So the word transformation, Vaughn, it's such a risky endeavor, as you aptly point out, but you wisely counsel that risk is a necessary four-letter word we must use and enact to survive unsettled times. So congratulations with such a super job. Thank you so much, Holly. And congratulations to you on the momentum on Prudential as you go. It, it's so important that, that there are leaders driving the sort of experimentation and understanding in the frameworks so that the broader community across the country can adopt it. So thank you, Holly. Next, we have John. Afternoon uh, and good morning, depending on where you are in the world. I guess my word, I have the same one, one of the same ones as Holly, which is the micro-credential, uh, micro-badging words to look at. Um, I am in the state of California and we are thinking about this, meaning um, organized labor and, and our representation of uh, home care workers in California. So I was really struck one of the things that we've been looking at is California has a demand for almost 600,000 home care workers in the future, many of whom are immigrants, low-wage workers, limited English or English language learners. Uh, and we really are looking at the ideas that, that Vaughn had in the book around that, about the ability to both have um, an important part of our California workforce and economy going forward, learning both getting credentialing and using technology, but then also in providing better healthcare for their family members and other community members that they serve in, in their jobs. So um, that was the one that, that really struck me on was that, that that's, I, I think, a real big future. And it's also its relationship to a lot of existing workforce systems like apprenticeship that have utilized a standard basic set of curriculum. And then within that have looked at um, uh, embedding credentials and, and badges already in California and or uh, be part of the, the state community college system to make them more adaptable and responsive. Thank you for including me today. 
thank you so much, John. I appreciate you facilitating the dialogue. 600,000, if it's just 600,000 home care workers needed in California, you know that that number is very big at the national level. So any solutions developed anywhere can be shared and exported. It's wonderful. All right, we have uh, Shannon. Shannon. The words that I would choose, I have to start with Master Catalyst because this is why we had Vaughn in the book is that she is a Master Catalyst. And a lot of the words that um, you know make Catalyst so powerful, she has in the book like collaboration, systems approach, and I'll, I'll talk more about those. I'm going to cheat a little bit because the story that I really wanted to talk about from Vaughn's book is actually in chapter two, <laughs> but I picked it because it so clearly demonstrates why we hold Vaughn up as an example of how to have those expert skills being that master catalyst. And I'm going to call out four and I'll talk about them quickly. She starts with experimentation and adaptation. She goes on a listening tour and she includes a diverse set of stakeholders. She doesn't just find shared value, she creates shared value, which is really a next level skill for change agents. And she approaches everything from a systems approach. Um, and so the story in chapter two is how she got this really like highly competitive and somewhat dysfunctional, you know, statewide ecosystem of community colleges to actually transform into a highly networked and collaborative system that really benefited everybody and was much more efficient. She did this by starting when she got into the vice chancellor's role with a learning journey, which is where we know change agents need to start. And I love the John Cotter quote that she called out, while hierarchy is as important as it always has been for optimizing work, the network is where big change happens. And so she very intentionally tapped into the group of formal and informal leaders who importantly had high trust within the community, but could also think beyond their own parochial needs, which made them amazing collaborators. And then Vaughn held the space that she was giving us credit for. She held the space for them to allow them to express their challenges and frustrations so that she could really get to the bottom of what was actually going on. So she didn't just from that sort of find the shared value, she took that and she created it. And she found this really great lever that was available to her in the system, which was the grants. And by pooling the grants and making the community colleges actually collaborate, 60% the first grant had to, uh, from one region had to collaborate. And the next one, 100% of them had to collaborate to get access to these funds. And they did it and it worked. And so what she did was she also used a tool called breadcrumbing where she was actually, as people were sort of following the money at the end of that journey, they found this highly collaborative, highly networked regional ecosystem that didn't exist before. And so that final point is it's about systems change. It's not about going in on one small problem because if you don't unpack the whole system and peel the onion as she talks about, you're not gonna get to that shared value. So she didn't just transform one community college or even one region, she transformed one of the world's largest community college systems in the world. And they effectively became this innovative and collaborative ecosystem where they discovered themselves solving much more complex problems in novel ways together than they could do alone. So if anyone wants to learn how to do system change, regardless of your focus, Vaughn's book has incredible tools for you. Thank you for bringing this into the world, Vaughn. Oh, thank you so much, Shannon, for just talking about it from a frame of a learning journey. I think it's it's scary to go on a learning journey and, and hear what people have to say, and then you feel beholden to, now what do I do with it? It's so wonderful for you to you know point to that chapter because I, I it's important for all leaders to go through that in order to come up with a good design that can work for all. So let me uh, invite Tracy. 
Thank you so much for having us on. And it is a great honor to get to wax poetic about the, the greatness of this book. And I'll echo so many of the things that Shannon was talking about, starting with if you know I were going to put together a keyword list, of course, Catalyst is at the top of the list. Uh, and thrilled that mastercatalyst.org is where people can find out more about what you're doing here. Uh, the other thing I would point to in terms of a term that really resonates and will stick with me is the three-legged stool that you talk about throughout the book really, really early on. And for me in my time of, of having known you, your ability to identify the real problem is so important to actually bring in sustained and lasting and meaningful change. And we see this not only in the frame of the book, how every chapter is set up as a challenge and solution as opposed to just you know, kind of naming it. The scientific inquiry in which you really stop and talk to people and look at the systems and understand that there are multiple actors is so important to help people tackle all the challenges that we face today. And you help us look at something that can feel almost impossible to look at systemically. And so you understand why it's easy for most actors thinking about workforce to do it locally, to do it within their organizational context. And you show us what that looks like and what the results are versus what happens when you consider that broader context that you, you know, in this case, you're talking about specific organizations and the three-legged stool. But I like that as an analogy, period, for problem solvers. So in chapter seven, as you're talking about the, the slope of un, unconscious bias, one of the stories, because you know, uh, Marcia's story at the beginning is so powerful, it leaves you almost speechless. But you talk about identifying that in community colleges that are less funded, the assumption of people, you know, kind of dropping in and looking at it at the surface level was that it was a lack of dollars that was the problem. And as you stopped and you spoke to people and then you looked at the system, what you saw is it wasn't just the lack of dollars that it's actually the lack of people to not only go after the dollars, but then to leverage the money once it comes in. And so as you looked at what happened in other systems where that wasn't the case, you created right, a pathway to tie the schools together, that it could allow everybody not to just help where there was one problem, but solve the needs of others and seeing the world from their perspective too. And that's what true systems thinking can do. And so I so appreciate a book that helps us all be better problem solvers, but really how you help us think through this problem and bring forward meaningful and lasting change. So deep gratitude. Lynn. Thank you so much. It reminds me of the story about a particular college that was in a rural area. And as you know, many, many rural areas have less capacity from a people infrastructure. And as a state, we couldn't even give free money to that college because they had no people on the ground to do the work. And so by pairing them with a neighboring college that was bigger with better resource, they began to then build capabilities and, and learn how the ropes of how to do this work. All right, very good. Paul, Paul Grenier. Happy to be here. So. I've read all my pages. I've got it, uh, you know, dog ear here. And I just want to congratulate you, Vaughn. Um, as I read through the book, um, I was also putting together a, a, a TV stand. And it dawned on me that, uh, you know, this book is like the instructions that I was using to put together that TV stand. And I think if practitioners use it like that, um, they're going to be able to build some pretty spectacular uh, systems and get some, some really good outcomes. So what stuck out to me 
was the phrase, and in, in chapter eight was the phrase, rate of change. And then I'm going to sneak over into chapter nine. And the other one was measuring what counts. And so I'm, I'm the regional guy, right? And Vaughn, you, you call out many of our, our friends and partners in different regions of the state of California and the work that they do. I appreciate that you know, um, because you worked with us, that uh, California, 40 million people, um, but it is a economy of regions and each region is unique. And so if we're gonna talk about economic development or we're gonna talk about workforce, um, we need to reflect the reality of that region. And so from the perspective of the Inland Empire, 4.6 million, we're bigger than 24 states in the country. Uh, we continue to grow. But one of our major issues is that of regions of over a million people, we have the lowest baccalaureate attainment in the nation. So 4.6 million people and only 21% with baccalaureate degrees. Fifth largest uh, Latino population in the nation and that baccalaureate attainment is at 9% for 2.3 million people. And so this question about how do we train people for the jobs that are currently here and going to be um, incredibly important. And it is in our region where the blue collar jobs in healthcare are an incredible economic driver, uh, manufacturing, and the supply chain, goods movement and logistics, we are a worldwide hub for that. And the need for workforce that is prepared now um, is absolutely incredible. It's, it, it, it is a, a big driver of our economy in the region. And so we need to be able to keep up with the rate of change. And as I work with companies, uh, industry, um, it just keeps accelerating. And so our education partners need to appreciate that. We need to be constantly studying and learning. And then we need to be measuring what counts, right? And to get that right is absolutely critical uh, because we can get pulled off into ancillary conversations that distract us uh, from the outcomes that we need. And ultimately the quality of life that we're gonna be able to give people if we get them the right tools and the right knowledge. So um, I know you get all that, Vaughn, but uh, great book. And thanks for uh, calling all those things out. Uh, thank you very much, Paul, for just spotlighting a number of those concepts. I mean, it's really important what Paul said that it's, it's really not one size fits all when it comes to regions and economic development. And so identifying the respected organizations, the respected intermediaries like Inland Empire Economic Partnership, who can galvanize and facilitate the conversation of the actors within the region is so important. And again, it's not something that you can do top down because there's not one thing in every region. They come in under different banners. In some areas, it's called uh, the Chamber of Commerce. Other areas, it has an entirely different name. It may be a community nonprofit. So being able to identify really the set of actors in every region that can facilitate the conversation and, and folks coming together to build the ecosystem and focusing their resources is so important. So thank you, Paul, for all the work that you do. And with that, let me turn over to Linda, Linda Waugh. Hi, Ron. Thank you for inviting me. So like all the other speakers before, um, given accolades to this book, this is really wonderful. It really brings back my memories of working with you, Vaughn, in the uh, community college system 
you were such a clear thinker and always able to nail down, um, you know, what the issue is and then how to tackle it. And that's also what this book was for me. I loved the titling of all your chapters and that you presented the problem, you presented the, the solutions. And then at the end, there were chapter highlights. So, you know, if, if anyone's looking at this book, I, I think you, you want to look for something that talks about, of course, the workforce strategies, but the agility, you know, of changing education uh, to meet the, these fast and rapid moving skill needs from our employers. Uh, the inclusiveness. So right now um, in community college, California community college system, we're all very focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, how we use that lens to look at everything we are doing. And of course, you know, as others have said, the um, meritocracy that you've talked about, the, the badging, the, the micro-credentials, but also the, un I love this chapter, the unconscious bias leveling the slope. Um, and reading that, you know, there were a couple of things that really stood out to me because workforce has always been something, you know, it's been my passion. It's something I ran on when I was first running for the board of trustees. But as some of you may know, trustees are often told that we need to stay in our lane. We can't go into operations. We need to stay with policy. So how do we as, as policymakers who are at a level, but not down in the weeds, how do, how do we look at these things? And so some of the things that, that you talked about, the inclusiveness in hiring practices, I thought was really important. And things I didn't really think about, we're, like right now in the community college system, we're talking about hiring practices just within the system, you know, to reflect the diversity of those we serve. But then how does education then um, impact our students and how, when they go out in the workforce and how successful they will be? And you had two stories in chapter seven, which I thought were really interesting. It was the story of someone you worked with, a young man, Alecki, and a young woman, Demetra. Both you found to be really talented, but were surprised that they didn't make it to the final line um, when they were doing job interviews. And they were bypassed because they hadn't passed a background check because they had these outstanding um, unpaid parking fines, which we know has been common, has led to some police issues where people are being pulled over and so this really struck me. And by you being so thoughtful and asking your team to look at this um, more closely and to really examine what was happening, you found that, hey, we're bypassing uh, some really talented people because of these minor things that are happening, these societal norms that we have that maybe some people are not taught or, or just, you know, sometimes young people just feel like, they're going to just dig their heels in and not do something. <laughs> so, um, so I really love this. And then you, you quoted someone you were working with, Byron August, who is the CEO of Opportunity at Work. And he talked about how we are unconsciously sidelining talent and using degree-based hiring criteria instead of skills-based criteria. And something that, that we're talking about is how do you give credit for experience, not just looking at, you know, what you've taken in the classroom. And I really love the stats that he had. He said 60% of the Americans who are over the age of 25 don't even have bachelor's degrees. And then if bachelor's degrees become the criteria by which you're going to hire people, this is leaving 60% of our population out. And of that 60%, 76% of those are African-Americans, 83% are Latinos, and 81% come from rural area. And so he talked about how we're bypassing what he calls stars 
or those who are skilled through alternative routes like community colleges, like military, on the job training, workforce training programs. And so that really raised my consciousness and I hope it raises others in education to really think about the impact that we're having on our students in our education and what we can do to really make these changes. Then you talked about these educational upgrades to the new norm. And when we were working together, one of the questions I had asked is, you know, faculty just are, we're gonna drive faculty crazy. You know, when we ask them to keep changing curriculum to meet the needs in, in industry. And I think it was Burning Glass who, who came out and said, you know, you have to do these short-term goals to get the students where they need to be. And so you talk about this short shelf life of skills, this rapid change of technology and innovation that is really driving this need. It really resonated with me that we in education really need to be conscious of that and how we need to really look at the metrics of mastery. So don't focus on how much time it takes you to do an examination, how much time do you put into education, but let's really measure whether or not people have the skills and the talent and the knowledge they need to really be successful. So don't measure time, you know, measure these skills and use the air cover time is what you call it to experiment. Um, and to really be bold, I think, and be collaborative in taking these kinds of risks. So not to continue to encourage sort of a punitive rule-based culture that I think that we have been in for a while, but really to be collaborative and innovative. So I love everything you are doing in this book. Bon, I do think it's a how-to. And as I've heard all those who came before me, I now know I have to go back and reread a lot of these chapters because it's so rich with information. There's so much information. And it's really something that I think people can carry with them as a how-to manual. So thank you, Juan, for writing this. Well, thank you, uh, Linda, for having read it with such attention. And I too love the story of Aleki who caught a fish when he was 15 and didn't pay the ticket that you got because the fish was too small. And then that ticket went to court and he didn't show up in court. He's 15 years old. That became a felony on his record. And when he applied, he was blackballed from employment. He didn't even know he had a record. And thanks to the partnership, we were able to expunge, the, our community partners were able to expunge that and the company was able to hire him. But um, thank you for pointing out all these learnings throughout the book that could be uh, of value to someone who's really just at the helm like you of an institution as a trustee. All right, uh, Gustavo, you have the hardest role. I saved the best for last here, Gustavo. <laughs> to try to try and bring it home. Uh, good morning, Vaughn. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation to be a part of this and all, all of the colleagues that are that are here with us, just amazing, amazing leaders. I, I completely agree with with what folks have shared about this being a playbook. You know, if I were thinking about words to, to, to look this up, it's it's almost like a how to be a game changer. But, you know, what I deeply appreciated about this book, Vaughn, is there's also a lot of personal anecdotes uh, in the book. There was a, a quote that you shared, your mentor's words, Betty Steiger, who said, uh, you need to give up who you are in order to become who you can be. And I sat and really thought, um, you know, there's a lot of bits and pieces like that, profound words to really meditate on throughout the book. I think, Vaughn, this book is really riddled with those type of profundities and 
but also the real world, real time problem solving that will help leaders who are trying to drive uh, seismic change. I also really appreciated and loved the robot zombie apocalypse podcast. Uh, the conversation between uh, Jamie Marisota, CEO of Lumina Foundation, and yourself. It was a conversation around the future of work uh, and the anxiety that, you know, this question of robots taking over human jobs. What I really appreciated as I was reading the book is Jamie's emphasis on uh, nurturing the foundational human capabilities and that that's really what prepares people for human work to focus on preparing people with compassion, with empathy, uh, ethics, collaboration, and creativity, that those are the traits and the characteristics that ultimately develop strong leadership over time. I appreciated all of that so much. It reminded me of uh, Simon Sinek's YouTube video where he says that he hates the term soft skills because there's nothing soft about them. Uh, rather than soft skills, he proposes human skills. And so just all of that was packaged into the book. And, you know, now as a CEO of, a, of an arts advocacy organization, I'm constantly thinking about not just how we build a more strong workforce, but also how do we build a more strong and creative workforce to really thrive and build change. And so this book is absolutely incredible. I also have my copy here. I know I'll, I'll continue to reread the book and pull anecdotes from it. And so just really grateful for this opportunity to share my reflections on the book, Vaughn. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Gustavo. And I'm glad that uh, the comments of my mentors resonated with your personal and career journey as well. We would love your help to spread the word. Um, as you saw with the magnitude of the numbers, we need to get these strategies, these playbooks out to others so that uh, they could be part of the solution. The book is on a number of bestseller and hot new release lists. If you happen to be on uh, Amazon or Barnes & Noble, wherever you bought the book, uh, it's such a gift to an author to have a review written. So it's very, very easy. If you go down to where the stars are, you could just click uh, write a customer review, add a headline, put in one or two sentences and press submit. Uh, it'll take less than a minute. I would so appreciate uh, if you could do a review. With that, I want to thank all my friends and colleagues who join as panelists today. You're so terrific and it's such a wonderful celebration to have you with, with me today. And thank you to everyone in our audience for joining. Hopefully you got great wisdom and insights from spending the time with us. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Workforce Rx podcast. We hope you'll head to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or other book retailers to purchase your copy of Workforce Rx, Agile and Inclusive Strategies for Employers, Educators, and Workers in Unsettled Times. Proceeds benefit the nonprofit mission of Futuro Health. And we hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore how to create a future-focused workforce in America.